We've been looking at seven steps to help us move forward, move forward in our Christian life and our spiritual, our spiritual life and growing. There's always room for more. There's always room to move forward. So we've been looking at those steps. I'm not saying that there's just seven, but we've been looking at seven of them. And we're moving into one one today that actually is a a topic that has carried with it um, sometimes a lot of uh, curiosity, uh, neglect, controversy, um, misunderstanding. That is about the ministry of the Holy Spirit and learning to depend on the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now the reasons people, reason people often resist the ministry of the Holy Spirit today boils down to two or three things. First of all, just a lack of knowledge of who the Holy Spirit is, of what His role is, what He desires to do today. And then there are those who bad experiences and uh, I think incorrect teaching over the years have left a bad taste in their mouth and they, uh, they're just not too open and receptive when you start talking about uh, the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the fullness of the Spirit today. And then there are people who kind of resist this because I think down deep inside they know that if we yield ourselves to this place, and allow ourselves to come to a place where we desire to walk and live the spirit-filled life, that it's going to produce change. It's going to transform some things in our life. And sometimes we're not real comfortable with change. It's kind of keep things the way they are. Now, there are some Christians and churches that will accept the ministry of the Holy Spirit up to a point. Up to a point. But beyond that, they get very uncomfortable with it. Uh, they want to accept a limited ministry of the Holy Spirit in the church, but not really walk in His power and His anointing. You know, the Holy Spirit is so important, so important, that Jesus told His disciples, told the followers that were around Him before He ascended, after He had been raised from the dead, before He ascended to heaven, He gave them a command. They they were to go into all the world and preach the gospel, make disciples. They had a mission, a call. But here's what Jesus told them. He said, but before you do that, wait. You need to wait. This is so important. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is so important that with all all that, that could be done, all the ministry, all the spreading of the message of the kingdom of God, the gospel, he said, basically said, you're not ready. You're not ready. Wait, wait. So the Holy Spirit comes. Robert Morris, who's teacher and pastor and author, he's a pastor of Gateway Church. And uh, one of his books is entitled The God I Never Knew. And he grew up in a, in a setting and then in a, a church setting to where the ministry, the person in the ministry of the Holy Spirit was kind of overlooked and neglected. So he says, you know, I grew up in all this and uh, talking about God the Father and Jesus, the Son of God, our Savior and Lord, he said essentially we didn't talk much about the Holy Spirit. There's a 
been a powerful, powerful work of the Holy Spirit going on in our world, especially since the birth of the church, the day of Pentecost, down through generation after generation. We have seen awakenings. We have seen the, the manifestation, the power of the Holy Spirit. It didn't stop when the apostles all passed away. Christianity is monotheistic, monotheism. We say we believe in one God. Three religions essentially believe that. Christianity, Judaism, and Islam believe in one God. The distinction for Christians is, and our Bible, I believe the Bible teaches, the distinction I believe is we believe in one God with three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Now back in the second century, one of the church scholars by the name of Arius caused a lot of division among believers because he declared that God the Father was the only true God, that Jesus was a created being, and the Holy Spirit was just a certain influence. That's still taught today. I mean, in Mormonism and Jehovah's Witnesses, there's some variations in that. But essentially, they call it Arianism. But we believe that there's three gods, all co-equal. And as God the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, Augustine, church father, said, deny the Trinity. That's the God the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. Deny the Trinity, and you'll lose your soul. Try to explain it, and you'll lose your mind. <laughs> it's very difficult, and our human understanding and, and vernacular ability to try to communicate that to describe the ministry. After all, this is God. It's not us. We see the Trinity throughout the Scriptures. And in the New Testament, we see uh, the Trinity demonstrated when Jesus was baptized. It says that Jesus went in the water. He came up out of the water, Jesus. The Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove, Holy Spirit. And the Father spoke and said, This is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. A manifestation one God and three persons. We'll talk a bit more about persons here in just a moment. In Matthew 28, in giving the Great Commission, he said, go into all the world and make disciples. He said, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The great benediction that Paul gives in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, he said, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So critical and vital that we as believers understand more about and learn to depend upon the Holy Spirit in our lives today. We said that the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's not an it, not a thing, not just some superfluous uh, power or spirit or force. The Holy Spirit is described as a person. Now when we talk about person, we look at gender and the Holy Spirit in the, in the Bible is referred to as he, God's referred to as he. And Jesus was a he, and so there's people that are very much offended by that today. But we have to understand the understanding of that the focus here is not on gender, because we're looking at God, not human beings. But the focus here is, is, is basically saying that the characteristics of him, and, and understand that in, in the Greek and Hebrew, as well as in other languages, that certain genders are assigned to even objects. We kind of do that. We, we name ships usually with a feminine name. We have things, you know, used to hurricanes. I don't know where we have gotten equal on that or not. And hurricanes get guys' names anymore. But um, we, we refer to certain things in, in the feminine gender. So the, 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 the focus here is not on God, he, God, her. 
we see the, the, the teaching of the scripture always refers to he in the sense of the masculine. The Holy Spirit, in that sense, is a person. Now, what defines a person? A person has a mind, the ability to think, a person speaks. All this the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit teaches. The Holy Spirit has feelings. The Bible says that he can be grieved. The Holy Spirit can be lied to. You see that in Acts 5. And then the Holy Spirit is deity, is, is God. He's eternal. In other words, has always been, will always be. He is omniscient in the sense that he is all-knowing. And he is omnipresent. And his spirit is everywhere. We see the Holy Spirit in the creation itself. When you read in Galatians chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, it says, In the beginning God, the word is Elohim. It's a reference, I think, to the, to the Trinity, to that plurality aspect of God. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. It was empty. Darkness was upon the face of the earth. And, get this, and the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God was hovering or brooding, moving over the face of the waters. So we see that God was, in a sense, Father conceived the creation, the Son spoke the creation, and the Holy Spirit implemented the creation. You kind of see that even in the birth of Jesus, that the Father sent the Son, the spoken word, Jesus, and through the Holy Spirit, Mary conceived. So we see a clear picture of this, where we understand it. Clearly or not, it's, it's evidenced in the Bible. The Spirit of life. The Holy Spirit is referred to as the Spirit of life. And even the Bible itself, the Scriptures, many of them are holding in your hand right now, the Scriptures as originally given were from, because of the Holy Spirit. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, or is inspired God breathe, breathe, the Holy Spirit. The Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 1 that holy men of God spoke as they were moved like a sailboat is moved by the wind across the sea. They were moved by the Holy Spirit. Now the manifestations of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament and New Testament differ in some, in, in some respects. In the Old Testament we don't hear of the Holy Spirit coming and dwelling in anyone. The Holy Spirit fell upon, manifested himself upon individuals at certain times. We see this manifested in Moses and Saul and David, the 70 elders. We see it in a very interesting way upon Samson, upon the prophets. The Holy Spirit would come and manifest himself in power. Amazing things would happen, but we don't see that residing of the Holy Spirit in their lives. It, also, we see that in the New Testament before Jesus Death and resurrection and before the Pentecost, the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came in a different, in a different dimension. We see the Holy Spirit came upon Zechariah and Elizabeth, upon Simeon and Anna, upon Mary, John the Baptist. All this was, it was a manifestation of the Holy Spirit it was different than what the disciples would have happened to them in just a little while. Let's look at, without the personal Holy Spirit, let's look secondly at the promise 
of the Holy Spirit. Ezekiel's called the, the prophet of promise. You see throughout Ezekiel the, the, the reference to the promise of the Holy Spirit. In Joel chapter 2 verse 28, it says, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. I'm still having visions. Um, Verse 29, New Living Translation says, In those days I will pour out my spirit even on servants, men and women alike. This was a promise. Jesus said in John chapter 14, beginning verse 15, he says, If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, comforter, the Holy Spirit, that he may come alongside you be with you forever. And he says, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. They, they cannot receive the spirit of God. But you know him, this is speaking to the disciples, for you know him, he dwells with you and he will be in you. There's a distinction there between now, Jesus' presence there with them, the Holy Spirit's with them, but there would come a time when the Holy Spirit would be in them. It's very important. John chapter 14, beginning verse 25 says, these things I have spoken to you while being present with you. And he goes on, Jesus says, The helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. He'll bring to your remembrance all things. You ever had the Holy Spirit bring things to your remembrance as you were talking to people, as you studied the scripture, and something would rise up in you, and you'd be aware of this, and you realize this didn't come from just my, my thought processes or just from my knowledge, but this is something that, that, that was actually supernatural given, was, came to my remembrance. Well, I, I, I love those moments. I appreciate them. John chapter 16, verse 7 through 9 says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. Jesus says this. It is expedient or necessary are best for you. This is what he's telling the disciples. Jesus is going to be, he's going to be going away. He will not be present with them on earth as he had been for these three, some, some odd three years. And now he's telling the disciples, look, I'm going to be going away. I'm going. It's necessary. It's good for you that I go. This was hard for the disciples to believe this at that point in time. After all, they never wanted Jesus to leave them. And yet he said, I, I, I must go away. And it's for your good that I go away. Why? Because if I do not go away, the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. In verse 8, when he comes, he will convict the world of sin and of God's righteousness and of coming judgment. Now, without Jesus coming to the earth and accomplishing the will of God here on the earth, giving his life, dying on the cross, being raised from the dead, without that, then there would be no ministry of the Holy Spirit. But because he did and because he went away and because God is designed now, rather than Jesus being in the physical flesh and being with his disciples there, they were with him that he might go away or they might go away. But now with the Holy Spirit, he's always there with you. He's always available there to be in you. So Jesus in his physical body could only be in, at, at certain places, certain times. But he says, look, there's coming a day when, in a sense, my very presence, the presence of the Holy Spirit will be with you 
and in you always. Super important. We can name over and over again the different purposes of the Holy Spirit. What is ministry? What is work? Here, he's our helper. He's our comforter, our teacher, our guide. He gives us understanding of things. He brings our script, the scripture to our remembrance. He gives us discernment. He shows us things to come. He empowers us. Thank God for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Oh, we should never deny this. We should never miss out on this at all. There's a progression in the ministry of the Holy Spirit. There is the conviction that comes. You know, when you sense when you hear the truth and there's something inside of you that, that draws you to that truth or makes you aware that there's something needs to happen, you, you need to make a decision. You need to make some choices. You need to move. It's, there's that drawing to the Lord, drawing to His truth. This is part of the work of the Holy Spirit is to convict, to convince. All of us, particularly we, we remember that in our salvation, that before we came to Christ, when we would hear the word or hear the gospel, and there was something inside of us, and something, there was something inside of us that began drawing us this place of saying, this is something you need to do. It's a step you need to take. This is for you right now. This is for you. Come. It's an invitation. So that is the wonderful conviction or convincing power of the Holy Spirit. And then when we turn to the Lord, something supernatural happens. You understand in salvation, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is very necessary because it's the work of the Holy Spirit that supernaturally, we use the term regenerates. You see, salvation is not just a change in your mind. Salvation is not just stop doing some things and start doing other things. Salvation is not attending a church or going through in a, or being in a particular religion. Salvation is about a new beginning, a new life, a supernatural birth within. And that only happens through the Holy Spirit. When you give your life to Christ, surrender Him, then the Holy Spirit changes you from the inside out. Conversion, regeneration, made new. All we need, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, you could not know Christ. So there is that progression from conviction to regeneration. And of course, once we come to Christ, important of being uh, baptized, water baptism, but then moving forward to be empowered and filled with this Holy Spirit, referred to by different, in different terms, terminology is not, is not the issue here, but to surrender your life completely and be baptized or filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. So we have the personal Holy Spirit, we have the promised Holy Spirit, and then we have Pentecost, the arrival of the Spirit, the day of Pentecost. Now, we see this in Acts chapter 1. Let me read verses 4, 5, and verse 8. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them, Jesus is saying, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. Wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now there's, when you look at the ministry of the Holy Spirit, what happens when you come to Christ is that the Holy Spirit does this regeneration, this change in your heart, and he places you in the body of Christ. You became a church member at that point, his church. You became a part of his body. The work of the Holy Spirit to place you in the body of Christ. 
Every believer has the Holy Spirit. At the same time, we believe the Scripture supports the fact that there is, there is, there is a level, a, a, an aspect of the Christian life that continues on from that point to yielding to be baptized or filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit places you in Jesus at conversion. But through the gift of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is given to empower you. And he says in Acts chapter 5, John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Not many days from now, you shall receive power and the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and other to the ends of the earth. This was necessary. I think two extraordinary things happen when a person comes to this place of experience the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in their life. Is there is this, uh, there is, I think, is this uh, a supernatural love, an overwhelming love, uh, the love of the Lord, the love of God in your life. I mean, and then there is the, the power, the love and power of God is is. is evidence. There may be other evidences that we would speak to, but this is what he says. This is what's going to change you. Don't go to share the gospel till this, this happens to you. So we read about this in Acts. It says the people are gathering in Jerusalem uh, and the reason they gathered in Jerusalem at this particular time, they were celebrating the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of, of Pentecost. One of the three major feasts that the Jewish people celebrated. The word penta means 50. So seven weeks after Passover, and Passover was a celebration of, of when, the, when the, the Israelites were delivered or set free from the bondage in Egypt. And remember that the death angel that would come and it says you need to take the blood of the lamb, the innocent lamb, put it over your door face, door, door post there. When you see the blood, I'll pass over you. The word pass over and the word Pesach, which is lamb. So they celebrated Passover every year. The disciples celebrated. We saw it in the upper room. The Passover. They celebrated when they were freed from slavery in Egypt. And in 49 days afterwards, on the 50th day, there was the celebration, the feast of Pentecost. This celebrated in their remembrance of the giving of the law. of The law that God gave to Moses on Mount Sinai. It was also the spring harvest. So it was a celebration and thanksgiving for harvest. I think it's beautiful that Pentecost was a time to celebrate the physical harvest of the crop, spring crop. But it was also a day that God was going to use to harvest souls and to bring people into the kingdom. So it was to celebrate the law that was given to Moses. It was to celebrate the spring uh, wheat harvest and give thanks to God. And it was as considered to be the day of the birth of the church, the birth of the church. Look with me for just a moment in Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, when it had arrived, they were all with one accord in one place. I think in the process of those days, there had been a, probably a lot of soul searching, a lot of praying. They had come to a place of, of if there's any differences, hurts, uh, the, the things uh, between. Some of those that were in that group, they'd gone through a very tough time. They were in, in, in a place of, of fear and uncertainty about the future. 
And so they, were, they stayed there for these number of days. We don't think necessarily they came to that room and all stayed in that room at her time. But there was a constant gathering. And they were there together in one accord on this day. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And say a wind came. said so the sound of wind came. Oftentimes wind, of course, and, and the Holy Spirit references to the Holy Spirit in the Scripture. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. What an amazing thing. We've never really seen this duplicated since then. This specific aspect of it, I think, was a one-time occurrence. Came as sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided or cloven tongues as a fire. One sat upon each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. All filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues or languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. Well, you see, at that time, because men had gathered into Jerusalem from uh, countries from all around, from our modern day uh, Iraq, Saudi Arabia, Arabia, Egypt, um, uh, from Italy, and from uh, some of the Grecian islands. There were 70 known languages. We believe there were 70 different languages or dialects that were spoken by the people that gathered there. So in this context, it says, and when that, that all these men had gathered, devout men had gathered from every nation under heaven. And when the sound occurred, the multitude came together and they were confused because everyone heard them speak in their own language or dialect. About 70 different languages being spoken by people that had come from the upper room that spoke Hebrew and Greek. And so uh, there was a miracle here of, of God giving the ability to speak in a sense languages that people had not learned. Also, I believe there was a, coincide with this, a miracle in the sense that although the Jews primarily would speak Hebrew, regardless of where they were from, and some Greek, I believe that when Peter stood and preached and when the gospel was proclaimed in that way, that even if he only spoke one language, they heard that language in their own dialect. So there's a supernatural expression of the tongues and languages, but I believe there was a supernatural hearing in the fact that a man may be speaking the same words, but you would hear him speak in your language. Regardless, regardless of that, this was a miraculous event. And it says they were amazed, verse 7, and they marveled, saying to one another, uh, look, aren't these, all, aren't these Galileans? How is it that we hear each of them in our own language in which we were born? They're speaking the wonderful works of God. What does this mean? People say, what in the world is going on? And others mocked and said, these people are just drunk. They're full of wine. But Peter stood up and said, look, it's only 9 o'clock in the morning. That's not what's happening. But I love the words, essentially, I think King James put it this way. He says, we're not drunk. But what you're seeing here, he says, this is that which was spoken by Joel. Prophet Joel. Remember we read from Joel chapter 2 just a moment ago? He said, I pour out my spirit and this is what I'll do. And so, so Peter's standing up before the people. He says, what you're really seeing here is the promise has arrived. You're seeing a manifestation of this promise of the Holy Spirit. This is that. I have a sermon that I've preached over the years. That's the title of it. This is that. And so that's what's happening at this particular time. The manifestation of the Holy Spirit as was promised in the prophet by the prophet Joel. We do receive the Holy Spirit when we're born again. The Bible says 
that if you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you don't belong to him. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it says, we have this treasure of the Holy Spirit in our earthen vessels. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Did you notice, you can't help but notice the difference in the lives of the, of the people, of particularly the disciples and apostles, before the Holy Spirit came and after he came. Before they had been huddled up together behind closed and locked doors, unsure what was going to happen, no sense of, of direction about the future, afraid, fearful, doubtful, disillusioned. That's where they were. But when the Holy Spirit came, what a miraculous transformation. They were never the same. They were absolutely never the same. It changed them forever. It took them, it took them from a place of hiding in a room to being public in the streets and 3,000 people coming to Christ in one day, that first day. It brought a boldness. Power came with this. An awareness and sensitivity of the Holy Spirit came with this. They would never be the same. Now, they were followers of Christ before, but now they had come to this dimension of having the Holy Spirit live in them in, in, in power, in His presence. We need the power of the Holy Spirit within us to live the Christian life today. And most of you, if not all of you, have already, have already given your life to the Lord. You've already surrendered your life to Jesus. If you haven't, today is the best day ever for you to do that. Jesus died on the cross for you so that your sin's forgiven. And we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And if we confess him as our Savior and Lord, believe in his death, died for our sins, was buried, rose again from the dead. And you proclaim that, believe that for you, you have a brand new life in that moment. Old things passed away. All things become new for you spiritually. If you haven't experienced that, don't put it off any longer. Don't do that. Don't do that. But once you've come to Christ, aren't there times when you look at your life and say, you know, I want more. I, I believe that there's a, a, a place where I can come with a, a deeper awareness of the power and the ministry of the Holy Spirit in my life. I want something supernatural. One of the problems with church today is we can have great programs and we can have performances and we can have beautiful music, which is a great thing. And everything can be just polished. But without the presence of the Holy Spirit, it's empty. People, when they come to this place, when we gather together, this is not about me. It's not about a group of people. It's not about a Sunday morning service. This is about coming and saying, Lord, we believe you're present. You're, you're in our midst. You are in us as believers. And we expect God. We expect miraculous things to happen. And this is not necessarily miraculous healings or, or miracles in that sense, although that's, that's a good thing, that's wonderful. Should be taking place. But this is a sense that when people gather here, they know that they have experienced God. When you come to this place, you don't need to say, well, that was really a good service and people were friendly. I mean, it's so good that you say that. But it needs to be so much more, folks. When you and I leave this place, we need to leave changed 
We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We need to be hungry for even more. And for some of us, some of us have gotten to, to such a place in our life that we've kind of leveled off. And yet we know there is something more that God wants to do in our lives. Now, it never stops. There's always more. But oftentimes in our life, we seem to plateau. And the reason we plateau is, is that we just kind of settled in, become comfortable, and we don't really necessarily know that there's that much more. But we know there's something. In Acts chapter 8, we read about the Samaritans. They were at the whole city there, believe. Imagine a whole city coming to Christ. The whole city believed on Jesus and they were baptized. Baptized in water, they were saved. Later the apostles prayed for them to receive the Holy Spirit because he had, was not fallen upon any of them as of that time. So these were followers of Christ. They'd been come to Christ, believed on him, and they had been baptized in water. But there was still something that was important for them as believers, someone who was important to them. In Acts chapter 19, Paul found the disciples there. Uh, that They were baptized. That they found them there. They were believers, but they were not baptized in the Holy Spirit. And he prayed for them that they receive, and they did with great manifestation of power. Look, when we come to this place, look, you can read down through the generations, down through the ages, and you can find in different denominations and different awakenings and revivals and different uh, people's lives and church uh, leaders, those who've led in prayer and in proclaiming the word. And over and over again, you'll find those that they, were, they loved Jesus. They were a follower of Christ. They were going to heaven when they died. But some, for, you'll read over and over again, those that had some type of an encounter that took them to a different place in their walk. They may have defined it in different terms or names, but something happened that took them that place. And I believe that's the baptism or infilling of the Holy Spirit. John Wesley was one of them. Dwight Moody was one of them. You don't hear a whole lot about it. They're from different places, theologically or whatever. But you'll find men like those that, it, that miraculously, the Holy Spirit, they had an encounter with the Spirit of God. For some of them, so much that they, they, they couldn't speak for a while. They were so overwhelmed with the power of God. Now, I don't know how he will manifest himself in your life. He manifests himself in different ways, in different lives. We, Holy Spirit, we just want you in your fullness, in your manifestation, in your presence, in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, in the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our life. A lot of discussion as far as the gifts of the Holy Spirit, particularly we read, there's six different references in the New Testament, I believe, but there's particularly in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And there's people who get on different sides of the fence as far as their beliefs about this. But I believe it's important for us to know that all of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, every one of them, is available and should be functioning in the lives of believers today. All of them. God gives to each one as he wills. We have different gifts. It's how the body comes together and there's a completion in ministry, a fulfilling. 
those who say, well, look, there's some of those gifts that don't exist anymore. Those are gone. We don't have those miracles. We don't have those supernatural languages. We don't have those things anymore. Those don't exist. Those ended. And they base it upon a scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that says, when that which is perfect comes, then that which is in part, some of those gifts, not necessarily all of them, some of those gifts will be done away with. When that which is perfect has come, that which is in part will be done away with or will be useless or canceled. The important thing here is understanding that scripture. Most people, there are those theologically who interpret that as saying that these things will no longer exist in the life of the church and believers. They'll no longer happen when perfect comes and perfect is the when we were given the scripture, when we have the Bible, the recorded word of God, then these other things are no longer needed for manifestations. Or when the last living apostle of that day, though there were apostles beyond those, that last apostle in the apostolic age of that day was dead, then it's no longer the church changed. I, the best I can understand, there is no place in the scripture where it says, that these certain things were for a certain period of time and then now they're gone in a way. And folks, if there was ever an age when the church needs to walk in these gifts and in these presence and in his power, it's as much today as in any day. Yes? So when, what is he talking about when he says that which is perfect? He says when that perfect has come, you don't need these other things. I tell you, I think the scripture is quite clear. Jesus is the perfect one and when he comes, these things are no longer necessary. So when Christ returns, it's quite clear to me, look, these will not function because these are to function in the age of the church and moving forward in the advancement of the kingdom and the gospel. It's been defined that sometimes people who will not believe and respond to this active ministry of the Holy Spirit today have what is called a convenient theology because believing that miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit don't operate today excuses powerful living. I love the scripture in Galatians chapter 5, verse 25. It says, if we, it says if we live by the Spirit, then we should walk by the Spirit. But I love in some translations where it says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Daily, hourly, momentarily. And so we have these encounters, experiences with the presence, with the power with the Holy Spirit, but then we are to walk accordingly or as Ephesians says, be filled with the Holy Spirit, which literally means be being filled or keep on being filled. Walk the Spirit filled life. I love how it says keep in step with the Spirit. And folks, this is the key to victorious living. The key to walking in faith constantly, the key to victorious living, the key to breakthrough in our lives, the key to moving beyond the just so-so life you may feel like you have. The key to that is to be in lockstep with the Spirit. Walk in step with Him continually. Sometimes today, even the church, we have, we have some wonderful churches. We have some wonderful, powerful churches. And that is, that's amazing. But oftentimes the church can be a, a mile wide and an inch deep. It's, it's not so much about the size of the congregation, although I, I love numbers and crowds in that respect. The more people know the Lord, the more people there to serve. 
But there's been a substitution in many churches of the pragmatic, the program, our design, our operation, this business. It's smooth. It functions like a well-oiled machine. Nothing wrong with that. Except the church is not a business in that sense, in that sense. And the church is not a machine. The church is the body of believers. And if you've got all these things that makes it look like, you know, you're the best organized and functioning of, of any group of believers around. No one, no one can measure up to all the special things that you can do and, and, and all the attractions that you have. Because we, we moved through an age of what was referred to as a seeker-friendly church. Let's be so much like other people outside the church that they don't want to be a part of the church. That's opposite of what it's supposed to be. Life is supposed to be so different in our lives that, that it reaches out and touches the lives of those who need to change and come to that. So we took the measuring stick of the church and tried to apply it in the church. Now, to be relevant, yes. But to come to this place and just try to entertain so people will come into the building, to try to make them comfortable. Do you understand that the early church, the seeker-friendly thing of the early church would be, look, you may be burned at the stake or burned in oil or lose everything that you have. Come on, be a follower of Christ. Yeah, that sounds exciting. No, when people made a decision then, it was about life, eternal life. It's about total surrender. We had an attraction church that says, look, we're going to have this event and that event. And we have events. I love that. That's not what church is all about. You have all these things. But if you do not have the working and the power and the manifestation and the reality of the Holy Spirit in our lives and in this place when we gather, it's empty. It is just another organization. I don't want to be that, do you? The early church did not flounder, though it faced some of the most difficult days that it could face. In the middle of those difficult days, and America may have some difficult days ahead, and the church may have some, but in those days, the church flourished and did not fail. Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6, the Old Testament says, it's not by might nor by power, but it's by the Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Oh, how we need that daily work in the Holy Spirit in our lives. Max Lucado, a pastor and author, he tells a story of this Welsh woman who uh, they lived out in a remote area and they heard about the invention of electricity. They said, hey, that'd be a neat thing. I want to have electricity. And, you know, we need to have electricity in our home. So they had it installed there. And afterwards, when the, the power company would look at the, the, the monthly bill, it looked like no electricity was being used. So they wondered what the problem was. Eventually, one of the representatives came out to her home and says, is there something wrong? Is, 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 is electricity not working? And the lady said, oh yeah, it's working great. Every night, we turn the lights on so that we can light the lamps and then we turn them back off. We don't need this just flipping it on. We need the constant light and the constant sense of the presence of God by the Holy Spirit in our lives. I know there's a hunger for that. I know many of you hunger for that in your life. Because you love Jesus and because you know 
that God has some amazing things to do in your life. I'm going to do something today. I want us to stand. I'll pray for you. And then I'm going to give you a challenge when you leave this place. Look, as far as the ministry of the Holy Spirit, I've been, I've been around. I, as I said last week, it's not my first rodeo. I have been. Look, I've been on both sides here. I have seen the misuse and abuse and the, the lack of instruction on the Holy Spirit. I've, I've seen people uh, claim that this is something when it's not. And I, I've seen, and there, there were times when I just said, well, you know, that's okay, but you know, that's not for me. And then I would see that there was a, there was a longing for something in me and there was an absence of something I wanted, I wanted, I needed in my life. And then I would see this, this wonderful presence of the Holy Spirit manifested in people who were living the spiritual life. I said, I want that. That's what I want. So I finally settled in on the truth. We don't, we don't judge the truth by, we, we don't judge it by the experiences of other people or ourselves. It's according to the word of God and faith. Faith to believe that word. I don't know where you are here. You may not even clearly know where you are here. But I believe that as we've, we've heard his word this morning and we've seen how God wants to fill us and work mightily in our life, that all believers here, don't you desire that? Don't you want to move in that place to where it's not just about things and doing, but it's about knowing and experiencing and the doing flows out from that. I want to pray for you. And here's what I want to challenge you to do. As I pray over you today, it's going to be kind of an initiation, if you will, for you to take with you and privately at home or in your car or maybe with your spouse or someone, I want you to pray for and believe for God to do this work in you wherever you are in your faith for a renewed working of the Holy Spirit in your life. And I believe as you do that in faith and begin to praise him that you will experience some supernatural manifestation. If you don't, that's all right. You receive by faith, but you will. Something is going to change in your life. Father, thank you so much for this day. What an awesome worship time. What tremendous friends together with and to get acquainted with. Just a good day. And we give you praise for it. But this is about so much more. Oh, God, it gives me great joy to look out and know how many here truly love you and want to follow you, who have the Spirit living in them, and yet also sensing that, that, that there's a longing or a desire or, or uh, just, just a, maybe a curiosity about, Lord, where do I go from here? I want all of you. I want all that you have for me today and then tomorrow I want you to have all that you have for that day. I want to walk in the fullness and the anointing of your spirit. So I pray over everyone in this building and I declare in the name of Jesus as as they this week come before you and simply in faith say, Father, I come to you. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for this new life. And today I surrender my life to you anew and fresh just to say, Lord, all of me, I belong to you. So come Holy Spirit in my life. Do a new work in my life. Baptize me. Fill me with your spirit and with your power. 
and I will give you the praise and I expect you to manifest yourself in me and in my life and my family's life in ways beyond anything we've ever experienced. And I declare that those who will respond in faith to do this, that they are going to experience this type of encounter with you that will absolutely transform their lives forever. And I thank you for that. Thank you for your peace that goes with us, for the joy of the Lord that is our strength. And I pray your protection and blessing over each one in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Give the Lord a good praise offering. I believe that. Have a great day today.